I really just want to spend a bit of time talking again about who Jesus is. Um, can you imagine what it would be like to wake up every morning just totally confident, um, really at peace in the fact that God loves us and that he delights in us, <clears throat> um, to, to just be at ease in God's company and know that he, um, he loves being around us. Well, Jesus comes to reveal God. And one of the things that I've been discovering, as Mike was saying, as we've been reading these books, um, particularly Gentle and Lowly, in the last uh, month or so, one of the things that I've been discovering afresh is what it is to call Jesus my friend. Um, that's one of the things that we see and know about him, is knowing him as a friend. And um, I've, I've been following him for, for quite some time. I've never really spent lots of time considering what is it to know him as a friend? What does that look like? And um, what are the implications of that? And partly that's been because um, I've always thought, well, he's my friend, but it's kind of different because he's not here in his humanity um, now. He's, you know, he's still human, but he's up in heaven. Uh, and so what that means is I can't relate to him in the way that I would relate to my normal friends. I, you know, I can't relate send him a WhatsApp message, I can't ask him how his job's going, uh, we can't play games online together or whatever it might be, and so he's a friend, but it's different. And it is different. Um, you know, I want to touch on that a little bit later about how that relationship um, looks and how it functions it is different. Um, but the main difference in having him as a friend is not that we relate to him differently from how we might relate to our other friends. It comes down to who he is and the sort of friend he is. And I don't want to domesticate him um, and, and, and just describe him only as our friend because, of course, he's so much more than that. He's our Lord who we obey. He is the King of Kings that we bow before. He is, he is God Almighty himself who we worship. Um, I was just thinking last night as I was walking, um, I was just walking along the street and it was really pitch black and I could see the stars, which is not very normal in Watford, um, but I could just see the stars above me and I was just thinking, I knew this morning I was going to be talking about Jesus as a friend and I was just thinking, my word, you are incredible. You don't need to see many stars to just realise once again how small we are. And I was just thinking, some people get excited about the fact that they're friends with a celebrity, someone who's a quote-unquote star on TV. But I'm actually a friend with the one who made the stars, who sustains the actual stars uh, by the breath of his mouth. And so I was like, and, and yet, you are my friend. So it's not just that he is... Um, a person like any other. He is, of course, far surpassing anything we could imagine in his greatness. But the thing that really captures me personally about knowing him as a friend is, is not his greatness, it's his goodness. It's just understanding how good he is. And um, there's a line that talks about Jesus as a friend, and it says Jesus is the friend of, he's insulted, by his enemies, and they, they talk about um, Jesus as the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And whilst they mean that as an insult, they're talking about the worst people in their society, in their culture that they can imagine. Tax collectors were, were traitors to, you know, they were betrayed the Jewish people and they sided with Rome. Sinners, that doesn't mean just like people who do bad things were all sinners. They meant the really awful people, that, that we're not sinners and they are terrible. They're labelling Jesus with that, the, the friend of tax collectors, the friend of sinners. And, um, and actually, they've actually named him incredibly accurately. 
And that for him, I think, became a badge of honour. That's exactly what he came to be. And what, what happens when we think about Jesus as a friend, certainly this happens for me, is we bring these lenses um, into our understanding of what that looks like. Uh, because we have our own baggage when it comes to our experience with friends. And some of us we've been hurt, some of us we've been betrayed, some of us we've been really let down badly by friends. Um, for others of us, even if that hasn't happened, many of our friendships are kind of a tit-for-tat exchanges and they work on, on that kind of basis. Um, and then for, for all of us, we are immersed in a society that does relationships in a particular way. And one of the trends that's emerged more and more in recent years is that the, the moment somebody in our society does something that's wrong, that's bad, that's not approved of by the rest of us, the majority, then that person is cancelled, as it were. They're cut off. They're just ostracised and we dismiss them. And, and that inevitably brings a little bit of insecurity into every relationship that we have. If I behave in a particular way, if I make a mistake, if I do something that's not acceptable, maybe that will happen to me too. And so it's as if we have red sunglasses on and we walk around looking at everything through the lenses and so everything of course appears to be red. It's not red but we perceive it as red. In the same way when we come to know Jesus uh, we can wear these lenses, uh, our understanding of friendship based on our experience of friendship and we can think he's a friend like that. We can colour him with those lenses. The best way to take those lenses off is to take up this book, is to open it and to see him for who he really is. Uh, to allow the scripture, the Bible, this is one of the reasons the Bible is so important, to show us who Jesus actually is, what he's actually like. There's nothing we can do that is more important, I'm totally convinced, than know Jesus as he really is in the scripture. So he's a friend. Let's unpack it. Um, we talk about him being the friend of sinners. And there are so many places in the Bible where we see Jesus living this out. One of the ways that we see it is we see that Jesus and sinful people in the Bible, people who are broken, people who are weak, people who are struggling, people like me, people maybe like you, uh, where broken people are drawn to him in the way that like magnets attract each other. But it's not just that broken people are drawn to him, it's that he's drawn to them too. And so we see that in the, in the people that he, he deliberately seeks out, that he goes almost, as it were, hunting for. He goes looking for them. One of my favourite stories is in John chapter 4, where Jesus is, is um, by a well in Samaria. And it's the story of the Samaritan woman. I won't tell the whole thing, but the background is she is there in the middle of the day because she is, quote unquote, a sinful woman. She's had, is it four husbands, five husbands? The man she's now living with is not her husband. She, she, the rest of her village didn't want to have anything to do with her. Jesus coincidentally finds himself at the well when she turns up. And he reaches out to her across all sorts of barriers, the Jewish Samaritan barrier, the male and female barrier that existed in that culture. He reaches out to her and he, he just reaches out with such kindness. He's gone looking for her. This isn't a one-off incident. There's, a, there's another one that I love where Jesus bumps into a guy called Zacchaeus. And this is in Luke chapter 19. He's walking through a town and Zacchaeus is a tax collector. 
That was his job. But it's not just that he's a tax collector, he's actually the chief tax collector, the, the, the chief bad person, as it were. And Zacchaeus uh, is kind of, he's, he's intrigued at the very least about Jesus. And so when, when the crowds line up to see him, Zacchaeus climbs a tree so he can, he can see Jesus. And what we read in Luke chapter 19, verse five, is Jesus reaches this spot right under the tree that Zacchaeus is hiding in. Zacchaeus is hiding in, he, and he, it says, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. The person in that entire town that Jesus wants to go and have lunch with is the one who's considered to be the chief sinner, the chief bad person. He seeks people like this out. And it's not just that he seeks them out, it's that he welcomes them home, he welcomes them in. And so person after person after person, again, who, who was on the very edges, the, the people who were the most broken, they come to Jesus and they find where, where, where no one else would have welcomed them. They find this, not just a cool welcome, not just a sort of like, a, oh, well, you can come in if you really want to, but don't come near close. Just this absolute embrace of a welcome. And so you see that with, in Mark chapter five, there's a woman with the, who has a problem of bleeding. She's had it for 12 years. And in that society, that made her um, ceremonially unclean. She comes and she touches Jesus's robe in the crowd and she's healed in that moment. But he's not satisfied to leave it with her just being healed physically. And so he stops in the middle of everybody, he turns around and says, where are you? Uh, calls her out. And the reason I think he does that is then he can speak publicly over her and he says, daughter, you're my daughter. Imagine what that word would have meant to her, given that all she would have heard for so many years would have been people pushing her away. You're my daughter. There's another one where there's a guy called Bartimaeus, who's this blind man, who's a beggar. And uh, he hears that Jesus is going past. He starts yelling at the top of his voice to him. And the crowd just tell him to shut up. And he won't, he won't be quietened down, so he yells even louder. And then Jesus hears him and he, he says, bring him to me. He heals him. The desperate who come to Jesus, the friendless who come to Jesus, are exactly who he's around to welcome. They're exactly who he wants to welcome him. This isn't just what he does. It's what he loves to do. And so um, there's another moment where we're told, this is in Luke 15, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so at that point, Jesus tells them three stories. I won't go into all of them, but basically it's a woman who loses a coin, she finds it and she throws a party. It's a shepherd who loses a sheep and goes looking hillside after hillside after hillside till eventually he finds the sheep he brings it home and he throws a party. It's a father who loses his sons. And when one of them comes home, even though he's treated him horrifically and terribly, even though this son who comes home is dressed in rags, smells like pigs and has got nothing going for him, the father runs to him, gives him the best robe, puts shoes on his feet, throws a party with music and dancing and says, you've got to come and eat with me. And calls all his neighbors around for a massive party. Jesus tells stories like this to try and communicate to those who didn't get it yet that he came for sinners, that he comes for the broken. Jesus is the same today 
as he was then. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He comes to be a friend to sinful people, to weak people, to broken people and to struggling people. And when I see this in him, something in me is so attracted to that, but also something in me so struggles to accept it. And I, I think the part of, perhaps it's those lenses, perhaps it's just that it's just not how I treat people. Uh, there's a thing in me that thinks, no, it should only be for the deserving. You know, because my experience of friendship might be something like that. It should only be when I've got something to offer in return. It should only be, you could only be my friend when I'm worth it. But it's not that. It's not when you're sorted. It's, it's when we are a mess, he comes to be our friend. And there's no moment that shows this more powerfully than, than what happens when he gives his life upon the cross. Jesus says, John 15, verse 13, he says this, greater love has no one than this, that, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Listen to that. Those of us who've been following him for, for a while, perhaps, let's just meditate on that for a second. He says, there's no way of showing love more profoundly than giving up your life for your friends. Then he gives up his life for his friends on the cross. And his friends are his disciples who he's having that conversation with, who in many ways got things wrong, fell short, were a bunch of morons, but also the Samaritan woman, also the tax collectors, also the sinners. Also, would you believe it, he came to be a friend to the Romans who are nailing him to that piece of wood. That's why while they're putting him to death, he prays on their behalf, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He, he, he demonstrates his love for us in that he dies for us. Um, when we are a mess and when we are struggling, it's not when we're sorted out that then he says, now we, I want to be your friend. It's not when there's something about us that's appealing or that's attractive, because get this, he already is attracted to us when we're sinful. And it's not that he's attracted to our sin. It's not that he approves of the things that we do that are wrong and the ways that we behave. He doesn't approve of that, but it's that he loves us. His love for us is so great. His heart for us is so for us. It's so towards us. It so yearns for us that our sins do not repulse him. It, he's not repulsed by who we are when we sin. Our sins repulse him, but who we are when we sin does not repulse him. He cannot ever give up on us or turn his face away from us. And when we are not a friend to him, and this is true before we became Christians, and it's true in those moments where we still make mistakes and let him down, he never stops being a friend to us. He comes to be a friend to the broken and the sinful. He's the friend of sinners. And um, I've been just trying to wrestle with this and, 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 and digest it for myself, if for nothing else, um, just so that I can, I can enjoy this truth and I can be at ease in his company. And uh, I struggle with it. And I think there's a part of me, again, that just persists in, in not being able to receive it, particularly when, when I see my own ugliness of soul and, and I see my own stuff, my sin. Um, I really struggle to accept it at that point. And, 
Um, one of the things that's happened in our house in the last week, we've got four boys, as you may well know, and they are four cheeky little monkeys, um, and they've been getting up to mischief, particularly the two old ones, Josiah and Judah. And uh, we had an incident that happened. I was just putting them to bed on Thursday night. I was tucking them all up, and I spied out of the corner of my eye a bag of um, roast chicken-flavoured crisps that they had tucked down the side of their wardrobe. And I pulled it out, and they were both looking a bit, look at each other like, you know, a bit gutted that I'd found it. And then I just looked around the room and I found two other packets of crisps that they had stashed away. And so I picked up these three packets of crisps and I said, boys, I really want to give these to you, but you can't have them now. You know, you've already had dinner. You can have a snack tomorrow, but you can't have these now. And so they were a bit sad. And I heard Judah sort of whispering and muttering something to Josiah who went shh, shh, shh to him. And anyway, I put them to bed went downstairs, thought, ha, 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 that's so funny. I've outsmarted my sons. Of course I have. And, and then, they're, they're six and four, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, six and four. Um, and anyway, then the next, uh, the next morning, I went into their room and I found the debris of 10 empty crisp packets and literally bits of crisp over all the floor. And they were so pleased with themselves. They were just thought they were the cleverest little boys in the, in the whole world. I thought I got them with the three crisp packets in terms I radically underestimated their desire for food and the extent to which Mike has been training them. And I, uh, uh, anyway, so I, I thought, okay, I said, boys, you know what? That is quite funny that you've done that, but you need to not do that again because, you know, it's just not good for you. You, you, you know, you, it's just not good to eat 10 packets of crisps for your breakfast. All right, and they were like, yes, dad, yes, yes. Well, anyway, six o'clock the next morning, Beth and I are in bed and we hear this little creeping sound outside the room. Beth went out to say, boys, you can't go and steal um, crisps. If you are really hungry, we'll give you some fruit. So she gave them some fruit and put it in the room. And we thought to ourselves, we've solved the problem. We've dealt with it, you know, pretty well, we think, as parents. Anyway, I finally go into their room at 7 a.m. and I can't see them anywhere. And I hear this giggling from the wardrobe. So I, I go over, I open the doors of the wardrobe and the two of them have made a little base for themselves behind the drawers of the wardrobe and they're sitting there. I don't know how they did it. They went and got more crisps and they're eating their crisps. So I pull them out of the wardrobe again and I said to them, listen, boys, I'm not cross with you. Um, I love you, but you need to know that you cannot do this again. And I really mean that. And I tried to use my proper serious face as you cannot do this again. And then I brought out what, what is the ultimate threat in our house, which is, and if you do, I will take away your time on Super Mario. So that seems to have dealt with it. The last two mornings have been, you know, fine. Um, but I was thinking about that and thinking about my heart and the way that I, I am towards them. And the truth is, I obviously have to discipline them and I will discipline them. And the reason I'll discipline them is because I'm for them. And sometimes that will mean I'll have to use my serious face and my serious voice. And I'll have to say, there are consequences to your actions here. Um, what they were doing technically was wrong. And if you really want to think about it, it was a kind of stealing going on. They were stealing my crisps. But my heart for them, my, my love for them, my, my utter commitment for them didn't flicker for a single second. It was never in doubt for a single moment. My default to them is love. Now, occasionally, they will act in such a way as to require discipline. Occasionally, they will, they will act in such a way as to require my intervention because I want them to grow into wholeness of life. 
but, but, but they never act in such a way as to require my love. My love for them is, is, is always there. And we might say, well, this is different from what we're talking about when we talk about God. It's not, actually. We might say, well, this isn't serious. This is just little boys being cheeky and stealing crisps. And so when we're considering the heart of God, it's actually not different. His heart for us is as sure as the sunrise, a heart of love. His, his, his tendency towards us, and I know it's hard to accept this because we're just not used to it, but his tendency towards us is steadfast friendship. It says in the scripture that occasionally God is provoked to anger, but it never says he has to be provoked to love because his nature is always towards us, one of love. Now he will at times say this isn't right and that's not right because he's good and he opposes evil. He will at times discipline us. He will at times help us to see the consequences of our actions. But, but, but none of that ever changes the fact that his, he is our friend and his heart towards us is one of friendship. Now, as I've digested this and I've just tried to meditate on it, one of the things that's really kind of jumped out at me is this word to describe God as our companion. And when we talk about a companion, the, the, the sense of that word, Dane Ortland makes this point, is someone who just goes with you on a journey. And he says that we have in the wild wilderness of this world a steadfast companion who will be with us forever. We need one another and God designed us for friendship with each other, but, but beneath that, um, always is that we have him as a friend. And that doesn't mean we won't occasionally be lonely. It doesn't mean that we won't feel the lack of friendships when they're not there in our lives. But it does mean it takes the sting out of it because we have in him a companion who gets us, a companion who enjoys us, who actually likes us, who takes delight in us, a companion who shares his heart with us. He, he, Jesus says, you know, to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father, I made known to you. He shares almost as it were the secrets, which he wants to be open secrets of the father's heart with us. And one of the things that I just, I love is that we have in him a friend who is faithful. And for me, who is insecure and always second guessing, always thinking my performance is, is the basis on which I'll have relationships, there's, there's no truth I can think of more glorious and more joy inducing than knowing I have a friend who is faithful forever. Who, who, who was my friend when I was lost in the mess, he still gave up his very life, the greatest act of love when I was furthest from him. And who every day, from now until always will be a faithful friend to me, who on those days when I get it wrong and I let him down will say to me, Andy, this isn't good and this isn't right and you know what, you need to turn around here. But never for a second will consider walking away from me. Never for a moment will his love for me flicker or fade or change. It is as sure as the sunrise. And who will be faithful to me to the very last. There'll, there'll come a day as for all of us where we will die. And then we'll hear the voice of our friend call us from the grave. And the first face we will see will be the face of our friend, Jesus. And we will be with him a friend into eternity.
It talks in the Bible about what's happening next and how one day, you know, that the eternity will swallow up time and the universe will be rolled up like an old T-shirt that's been worn too many times and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And in the new heaven and the new earth, we will have the faithful friend that we, that we walk the earth with now, still loving us, still understanding us, still committed to us, still enjoying us. Jesus is a friend of sinners. We might say, and I finish with this, it's not like other friendships, no. And the way that we relate to him is different because he isn't present in his humanity, but it's also the same in so many ways. With friendship, what we do is we enjoy each other's presence and we can sit with Jesus anywhere, anytime. We can ask him to fill us afresh with his presence, his Holy Spirit, and he will. And in fact, there's nowhere we can go where we can get out of his presence. Similarly with our friends, we can bring our problems to him and he's there to listen anytime and any problem. And also with our friends, we can hear his voice and we can listen to him speaking to us. And... Um, as I was preparing this, one thing that just confused me a little bit as I was preparing is that Jesus says elsewhere, you are my friends if, I do, if you do what I command. And I thought, hang on a second, isn't that a condition? And what it means, what I've understood it to mean is, he is our friend always. And we say yes to his friendship and we enter into his friendship when we submit to him and give our all to him. That's our RSVP as it were. And what I've been discovering afresh for myself is that when we see him as he is in this way, why would we not want to give him our obedience, our worship, and our very selves, our very lives? Who is Jesus? He's our friend. <laughs>